Hi, this is Ellie Kushner from Dancewell Podcast, and today I'm talking to Dr. Emily Sherb about aerial dance. Dr. Emily Sherb received her graduate training at Washington University in St. Louis, where she focused on human movement as a system. She continues to be involved with education as a fellowship mentor and a provider of continuing medical ed, focusing primarily on circus and aerial artists. Dr. Sherb is also the author of a new book called Applied Anatomy of Aerial Arts, an illustrated guide to strength, flexibility, training, and injury prevention. And you can find her book on Amazon or you can order it through your local bookstore. So Emily, I'm so excited to talk about this this topic that I, I really don't know that much about. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Allie. I'm excited to be here. Great. Um, why don't you talk a, a little bit about how you came to be doing or specializing in this unique field of aerial dance? Absolutely. Um, I started doing uh, aerial arts and circus arts when I was a kid um, and have been doing it for a long time now, so over 25 years. Wow. Um, and I took time off before college, after college, and for every rotation during grad school, I'd always make sure there was a circus school or a flying trapeze rig nearby. So this has been a huge part of my life throughout the entirety of my life. Um, and now I get to be on the other side and help other people continue to do the things they love and continue to train, um, keeping their injuries at a minimum and keeping their bodies strong. Great. Um, I think most of us I'm probably not alone and not being very familiar, familiar with aerial dance. So could you take us through the different types of things that constitute aerial dance? Absolutely. So the aerial term aerial dance really, I think, started in the 70s. And that was with a woman called Terry Sengraff. She developed a dance trapeze. It's a single point trapeze, which means basically there are two ropes going up to the rigging point in the ceiling, and then there's a bar, and the uh, dancer is holding onto the bar, and it's usually at about forehead height, about five feet off the ground, um, and they're able to move in and out of the ground um, with ease. And that's really what was started off as being called aerial dance. So it like Since a, then, that kind of brought a whole new level of flight to the dancer's ability, yeah. like just being able to run and leap a little further than naturally. Exactly, and you can take that swing and create movements together, or you can have one dancer go off on their own, or you can have somebody up and somebody down to add another dimension to the stage. Cool. Um, and that's, I, I believe, that where their term was coined. Um, there have been other artists that did things with aerial work before that as well, but that's really the kind of the beginning of it. Um, but then there's things called vertical dance, which is harness work done on a wall or sometimes on the side of a building mm -hmm. where the dancers will be in a harness perpendicular to the wall and suspended and will basically have the stage rotated 90 degrees where now the dancers are dancing on the surface of the wall instead of the floor. Um, and they can turn their bodies side to side. They can have somebody lower them and raise them if they have that capability. They can interact with each other. They can cartwheel and turn and, and it's um, a really neat another dimension to it as well. Um, and then there's harness work in theaters, um, in operas, um, and, and that's gonna be when the artist is 
suspended from the waist um, as well, but they're going to be still relating to the same normal stage position. And they may be asked to do dance movement there uh, in the harness or have to act or sing. And depending on what they're required to do is when it's uh, considered aerial dance or not. Um, mm -hmm. just, just like in the dance world, there's always a discussion of what is dance? It's like, what is circus? What is aerial dance? What is, what are the boundaries? But we just, we know it's art. Right. Right. And then silks, that's another one, right? That people, what's yeah, silks? So, so silks is um, what we call um, aerial fabric. Um, people have other terms for all the different apparatus, but silks or aerial fabric is two pieces of or one long piece of fabric attached to the top in the middle and draping down. Um, and then an artist will can climb up and down those and create dance movements. Um, and so things like silks or slings, which is that same kind of stretchy fabric now hung in a U shape. So you can move around kind of in a loop. Um, there's aerial rope, which hangs down from the ceiling in a covered, uh, it's a covered rope apparatus. Um, and you can wrap yourself up in it, climb in it. Some have hand loops or ankle loops, um, which would then distinguish it to a Spanish web. Uh, it's just another term. And then there's other types of trapezes as well. And these are all things that are traditionally classified under circus, but it's kind of what is the intention of the artist? Are they creating a dance work with these apparatus or are they creating circus work? And that I think comes down to the artist a lot of times. So there's also these circus, traditionally circus apparatus that have transitioned into aerial dance work as well. Great. Yeah, so um, besides joining the circus, <laughs> um, <laughs> how or why might a dancer find themselves um, doing aerial dance work? Yeah, so often um, guest artists will come in and set a work on a company that is not in their common genre. Um, you know, we see this a lot with ballet companies where, you know, a mo more modern style will come in or in some cases, even some harness work. Um, here, um, I'm in Seattle and here in the Northwest, we have the Pacific Northwest Ballet. And a couple of years ago, they did Susan Marshall's work Kiss, mm -hmm. um, which is a harness-based work. And these are ballet dancers who haven't necessarily spent time in harnesses. And now they're asked to go up in the air and still have that same freedom of movement that they have when the relationship is to the ground now from a harness. That's, that is my limited experience with this. When I was young and I was at Boston Ballet, we did Ben Stevenson's Dracula. Uh-huh. And I was a flying bride, a Dracula <laughs> vampire bride soaring through the air as a young ballet student. See, now that's interesting, because what was your experience getting up in the air in a harness? Was it very different for you? Yeah, well, um, I mean, it was very different. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I mean, it's uncomfortable for one thing, you know, you just yeah. to have like pull on your pelvis in that way. Right. Um, but it was also really fun and a little yeah. odd and silly feeling at the same time. And yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, I, I think... I was a little young to appreciate the nuance that I could have discovered in my trunk doing that work, but right. um, you know, you're like trying to make these shapes, and it seems like well, and you've just got yeah. make a stag leap shape, right? Because you've got the harness coming between your legs, and yeah. so there's pressure there too. So it's really hard to control those legs. 
yeah. and create the shapes you're trying to create. Um, okay, so we have ballet dancers who end up, like myself, just in a harness before they even know what they're getting themselves into. Um, yeah. What are some of the other circumstances? A lot of dancers or actors are finding that they want to add a new thing to their resume. Mm -hmm. um, and circus has become the trendy thing to add. Um, so if I reach out a lot of, to a lot of the other studio owners around the country, they're getting a lot of requests for, oh, can I come in and take a class so I know how to do this? Mm -hmm. Which is very interesting, too, that people just are kind of looking to add it on to them. Um, and then there's also, once you get into a show, um, if your uh, piece requires harness work or aerial work and they're not going to bring someone else in, sometimes they ask you to learn how to get up in the air and do a thing or two. Um, again, as it's become more and more popular over the last few years, people are getting more used to seeing it on stage. Yeah, and even seeing it um, out in public. You know, I had my accountant was really into doing aerial <laughs> yoga, which... Okay. That was a little problematic because I, I wasn't convinced that she had the the uh, upper body organization for that. But we'll talk more about that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's really you know there's all these aerial yoga studios. There's yeah different even like pole stuff. Oh, yeah. People are just getting more into this way of interacting vertically through space. It's I think. exploding. Yeah. Um, as um, there was a book on aerial dance written in about 2007, and they listed all the circus schools around the world, and it took up only a few pages. And now um, we have a couple circus organizations in the US and just the, the schools that are registered with them, let alone the tiny schools that are starting up and haven't registered yet, we're like over 250. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's everywhere now. And, and there's so much of it for fitness or for fun. Um, and a lot of people are getting into it without the expectation of going into it professionally at all. It's, it's really just enjoyment. Yeah. Um, so given this rise in popularity, um, I assume there's also a rise in um, the injuries that practitioners are seeing <laughs> with this. So what kinds of injuries are particular to aerial, aerial work? Great question. Um, the most common injuries that I get to see in my clinic and that we're starting to see in the, show up in the literature um, as we get a little bit better literature around this is shoulder injuries. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of shoulder injuries. Um, we have so many people that spend their days running around or working on computers and then they hop up into the air, they stick their arms up and grab onto something up there and they're at their end of range of motion and they're full weight bearing and shoulders get really vulnerable for a lot of the um, aerial work. For harness work, um, it's a little bit different um, because the harness is attached at the center of the body and because of those straps and how they put pressure on the pelvis and put pressure on the legs, low back injuries and hip injuries are a bit more common. Um, all of a sudden you're having to control things from your core, but that harness might be getting pulled in different directions and you are responsible for lifting both halves of your body to hold them up. Yeah. to that height of the harness. Yeah. Well, that's what I remember, you know, trying to do that, do that stag leap. I was like, well, I'm making this shape, but I feel like I'm sort of falling backwards instead of going forward. You know, it's just <laughs> right. very right. different, um, kin like kinetic experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, 
it's really interesting because you're like, I'm using the same strategies I always use, but I don't feel like yeah. I'm making that shape or I don't feel like I've got that same line that I've had when I'm pushing off the floor and extending into space. Instead, you're creating the shape and maybe you're already in the air so you don't have that momentum. You're just creating the shape and then you have to kind of create that stability through you as well. Yeah, and you don't have that sort of thrust from the floor and friction and very complicated. Right, um, right, so absolutely. shoulder, low back, some hip pelvis things, Any anything yeah. else? What about yeah, wrist no, and hands? Are- Wrist and hands are um, usually the first thing to fatigue and give out. I see. So you quit um, before you get so, injured. <laughs> so you tend to quit before you get injured there as much. Um, sometimes there'll be some grip injuries, uh, and that's usually felt more at the elbow mm-hmm. because of where all those uh, finger flexors and wrist flexors attach. So a lot of medial epicondyle is- issues with especially beginning artists. Mm-hmm. Um, People tend to overgrip and squeeze a lot when they're scared. Right. Um, <laughs> the other thing that tends to happen is if they're not as stable at their shoulder girdle yeah. because they don't have the strength there yet, um, they're trying to stabilize at the elbow, kind of co-contracting the biceps and the flexors um, and creating a lot of force across that elbow that's kind of unnecessary. So even when my clients come in with uh, elbow pain, I'm looking back at their shoulder because I'm like, okay why you know Mm -hmm. what is the cause of that grip related injury is it because you're not able to stabilize the rest of you um let's talk a little bit more about the shoulder because um most of the research that we see in dance medicine and science tends to focus on lower leg maybe back um i think in part because you know ballet companies are the place where the most um, medical team are employed. (laughs) So most of our, most of our allies, um, like in I Adams are associated with ballet companies and maybe a few with big modern dance companies. And so they're seeing these ballet injuries that are, you know, so intense in the lower limb. So we see a Mm -hmm. lot of lower leg injuries in dance in general, but specifically there. Um, there's not a lot of talk or research or attention on the shoulder, so could you just talk a little bit about um, what is so complex about the shoulder and why it's so complicated and why uh, it's so necessary to have strength there for this work? Oh, yes. My favorite <laughs> topic. <laughs> I love the shoulder. I love aerial shoulders. They are um, a whole separate, wonderful, wonderful thing to study um, because even when we do talk about the shoulder, we talk about the shoulder in relationship to the body being stable and the arms moving freely. Mm. But when we're talking about aerial shoulders and what the shoulder has to do when you're hanging from your arms, all of a sudden the hand or maybe the elbow becomes the static point and you're moving your body. Right. Totally different, like so closed chain situation. Right, right. Yeah. Right. That we don't necessarily think about maybe with like yoga or with some modern dance or some gymnastics, we're thinking more of closed chain with a pushing component, mm-hmm. but now we've got a pulling component. It's like, where's the gravity coming in? What kind of movement are you trying to create with the body? Which lever arms are moving where? Um, and that's another thing when you're hanging from your hands, you've just gotten a lot taller relative to your base of support because right. your base of support is your hand. You're now right. taller you've and added longer. that length. 
of your arms you to your height. Knee. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you take the super mobile joint of the shoulder and you have increased length of your lever arm and you're moving it around. So the shoulder is super, super important to, to these artists uh, that do this kind of work. So I really like to, when I start talking about the shoulder, start talking about the shoulder basic mechanics, you know, as the arm moves up overhead, it's not just the humerus moving up. It's also the shoulder blade upwardly rotating, a little bit of posteriorly tilting. Um, and there's a lot of things that go into that arm getting up overhead. And then once it is up overhead, now it's bearing weight. So if you think about scapular upward rotation, which happens um, as that arm goes up, you've got three main muscles that do that. You've got your upper trapezius, your lower trapezius, and your serratus anterior. Mm-hmm which is great. Your arm goes up overhead so smoothly. But now when, you're, now when you're hanging, your upper trap doesn't have to do nearly as much. Right. But that lower trap is really working hard to essentially hold your body <laughs> right. up. Right, or to right? Keep, like keep your body from detaching from your right. humerus, like to keep your scapula it's, on your rib cage and not up floating off your body. <laughs> Right. So instead of having to just raise the weight of your arm overhead, now you're using this lower trapezius to lift the weight of your body. Right, um, right. So it's, oh, it's a totally... Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of mind-blowing when you start to think about what's actually happening at the shoulder. And because not only is the scapula so mobile, the, the glenoid or the joint where the humerus meets that scapula is a very shallow joint. And so the humerus itself has a huge range of movement that it has available to it. And so when the arm goes up overhead, you have all the muscles pulling from the front of your shoulder to lift the arm up. And you need the rotator cuff pulling and holding that humerus back in the socket. Um, And so when you're hanging, same thing. Now the arm is being pulled both up and kind of forward because that's where the joint has... um, less stability and you need especially the external rotators of the rotator cuff to be really turned on and working um so not only are you holding on to that bar you've kind of got so you've got all your grip muscles working you've got a pretty stable joint at the elbow that shoulder stabilizer muscles that rotator cuff muscles are working super hard to hold that humerus attached to the scapula and then you've got those muscles pulling really hard. So you need your scapula to be really stable, pulling back the other end so that muscle is anchored. And then those muscles are also holding the body up. So the shoulder is working super hard. So if you look at an aerialist or an aerial dancer and you look at their shoulders, they're usually pretty awesome. Right. (laughs) They've got some really nice muscle going on. Yeah, that's (laughs) incredible. And, you know, two things come to mind as you're talking about this. The first is you know, issues of issues of hypermobility, which are an issue oh, throughout yeah. dance. But I would imagine that, you know, given the circus background of this work, um, even more than in, say, ballet or contemporary forms, there might be a really high value on hypermobility. So then you have this dancer who's hypermobile, extra lax, and yep. needing so much more strength than they would yeah. ordinarily need standing on the ground. It's really great insight. It's absolutely true. We get so many people attracted to aerial arts because they look good doing it. You mm-hmm. know, it's very pretty when you have those hypermobile lines. Same thing as in traditional dance, um, but they need so much strength and control throughout their range of motion. 
But because of that, I actually really like having my hypermobile people be involved in circus because they do gain the strength of their full range. So as long as they're aware of it and they know they may have to take things a little more slowly to gain the strength, it can be a great fit to keep them stronger um, and healthier longer. I could see that. And I could see how like there might be moments where they could really sit into their low back oh. or something. But oh, yeah. but generally, <laughs> like if they're going to pull themselves, if they're going to hang, the body is very quickly going to discover that that hypermobile elbow needs to be organized in order to hold the body weight. Like it's just not going to work in a hyperextended situation. One of my favorite stories from in my clinic is I had this beautiful uh, aerialist and contortionist walk in one day and she said, you know, I don't really have pain. I'm really here to try to figure out why I can't do two pull-ups. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, well, you know, let's do a full exam, but we'll certainly look at your pull-up. And so we did the full exam and she was actually pretty strong and things look pretty good. And I'm like, okay, let's watch you do a pull-up. And she, I of course, have things to hang on in my office. <laughs> it's that kind of office. <laughs> it's that kind of office. Um, and so she hops up on a bar and she's hanging pretty nicely. Um, and then she goes to do a pull up. The first thing she does was kind of drop out of her shoulder engagement and then like yank really Eve. hard down. Like she's like climbing up there. And I was like, all right, all right, not terrible, but like maybe the pull ups are hard for you. I, I kind of get it. Right? And she like gets to the top and I, things look pretty good. And she's lowering back down. I'm like, all right, it's looking pretty nice. She gets to the bottom of the movement. And the next thing that happens is that she subluxes oh. both of her shoulders oh. all the time. Oh, God. Right. And I'm like, oh, well, well, that's why you can't do a second pull-up. You no longer have that connection right. between your glenoid and your scapula. You've completely lost it. But she did have the strength. Yeah. And so it, all it took was teaching her that she was actually doing that and teaching her strategies to not do that. And within a week, she was able to do multiple pull-ups. Oh, that's so cool. But it's that, yeah, it's that hypermobility. She may have the strength, but if, if you're not getting the correct training, it's really, it, it can be a problem. So with hypermobile clients, I'm always, I'm a fan of them doing the work, but with really good training mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they have to be even more careful with these amazing bodies that they were given. Yeah. Um, and you know, the other thing with, with the training and the other thought that comes to mind is yeah, dancers just don't tend to be that strong in their upper bodies. I think uh, maybe a listener will chime in and correct me or, uh, enhance this information, but <laughs> I think there's a study, right. Of, um, that says that College dancers have no more upper body strength than their non-athlete counterparts. So our dance majors have the same upper body strength as the econ major who, wow. you know, is not sporty, who <laughs> just sits at their now, desk. Now, does that, do you know if that study differentiated between ballet and modern? Because that would be very interesting as well. Uh, I should have checked this before talking to you, but... Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Um, they were contemporary dancers but um okay listeners chime in let us know yeah please <laughs> I want to know yeah um so so all of this is pointing to my assumption that dancers really need to improve their upper body strength in order to do this work what else can they do to prevent injuries yeah so 
dancers learn movement so very quickly um, and so well, and they're so used to learning more movement that when they come into aerial arts, they learn very, very quickly, but they don't necessarily have the strength to keep up with it. So mm-hmm. I will advise any dancers who are um, starting out in the aerial arts to be really aware that you, your body needs time to grow that muscle, even though you've got that strong um, knowledge base of how to learn movement. Right. That building muscle is important. So yes, let's please talk about how to do that. So um, I think it, it uh, kind of depends on what your background is and what your goals are. I think if you're just starting out and you have the time to slowly gain uh, gain that strength, it's great to begin in a closed chain pushing situation. So doing things like yoga, if you're feeling into it, I love it when my aerial arts people do handstands. Mm-hmm. Um, but like downward dogs are great too. They work those scapular muscles, getting them into upward rotation. They work those humeral stabilizers. Um, as you start weight bearing there, um, overhead, but weights, overhead, pushing, all yeah. the overhead, uh-huh. you can even just, and then taking it a little more loose, you can start doing overhead pushing, like just overhead press, mm-hmm. you know, simple, there's really simple things that'll start get your arm, getting your arms ready to work overhead. Um, and if you have the time, start slowly. Um, but consistently, mm-hmm. and that's the key is finding that balance, just like with any new thing, um, giving yourself, your body time to recover between, uh, training, but, um, but do be consistent. So every third day is really a nice thing if you can manage it. Um, but then there's also looking ahead. If you're someone who's in a company and has to be able to do some of this work quickly, right. um, trying to find out as soon as you can. I know people don't always have that opportunity, but finding out as soon as possible and start training early um, because there's going to be a huge demand in a very different way on your body. Um, If it's harness work, you're going to want to work your core a little bit more, but in a different way. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, like, yeah, what's the difference? Yeah, so it's not crunches. it's um, It's not that kind of core work. It's getting your body horizontal and playing on that plane. Mm-hmm. So I love things like hollow body rolls where you are laying flat on the ground with your arms overhead. You on, lift both your feet. And, on your back sorry? or on your, on your back? On your back. Okay. Sure. we will start on your back. Okay. Lay on your back. Start on your back. Oh gosh. <laughs> start on the back because they're going to, they're going to be moving. <laughs> Starting on their back with their arms straight overhead, lifting their hands and the feet off the ground. And the key is to make sure your low back stays on the ground too. Mm-hmm. If your low back pops up when your hands and legs pop up, you're not using your deep core muscles. Okay. <laughs> so really using those deep abdominal muscles um, instead of your hip flexors to lift those legs. Um, so hands and legs just a little bit off the ground and then trying to keep your hands and legs off the ground as you roll onto your side and then your stomach. So practicing that kind of at all different angles. Mm-hmm. And you, you can also do that in a big X shape, like a big X roll. Yep. Um, yep. So... That's a common thing I used to do all the time in my dance classes. Yeah. Um, um, and then also floor bar is fantastic for harness work, kind of separating the legs from the core on that different plane. So it's I a really nice right. way of working it too. Right. Just the idea of being parallel to the floor and doing right. the same dance moves. Right. Right. And I would imagine things like 
planking and bear crawling and side rolling from plank to side plank and stuff like that. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Those are, those are all great. Um, and probably almost better for like an apparatus hanging uh, area. Right, because of the hand Because, component. because you're weight bearing on your hands and feet. We really mm -hmm. need to bring the weight bearing back to the center for the harness work to kind of understand how that movement feels. Got it. Um, other safety concerns with this, um, let's talk for a moment about rigging. So what, what does a dancer yes. need to know about rigging if they're going to get involved in this? What a great question. Um, it is a often overlooked component of aerial and one that is really important. Um, as performers start out, a lot of them are, you know, confident in their performing skills. They've got this, they've got their piece of equipment and they show up at their venue and they're like, okay, can you hang this for me, theater <laughs> rigging person? And that rigging person may be used to hanging scrims or hanging lights or hanging set pieces, but not something that a human is hanging from. Right. And so making sure you know your rigger, making mm -hmm. sure you know the demands of your apparatus on the, the rigging points is really important. Um, when you're doing something like aerial silks, it is not just the weight of your body. If you're doing any falls or drops, you've got a stretch component of that fabric. You've got the weight of your body with, uh, with the fall loads. So a 10 to one ratio of um, load compared to your body weight is, wow. is about what you're looking for, which is, you know, if you're, let's say 120 pounds, pounds it makes yeah. math really easy. Okay, yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're looking for a significant, significant amount of um of weight bearing yeah, that, that yeah. point is gonna have to have to be holding right so it's really good to know who you're talking to and um and what their knowledge base is and to at least know even if it's not what you do like i am not a rigger but at least my goal going into any space is to know what questions to ask and to know um whether i need to bring someone else in so i'm always asking who put up your rigging points? Mm -hmm. Can I have their information and contact them? Yeah. Do you have, do you have um, knowledge of what the um, weight limits or load capacities of that rigging point are? And then just basic things like looking around for obstacles. Does your act involve a lot of movement? Does your does your piece involve your legs swinging out wide? But there's a uh, table there. A dinner theater setting. Yeah, yeah there's a table there or a railing like. Oh, that's going to be an issue. Is the ceiling height a different height? Um, what's going to be going on below you? Did you bring a mat? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> like things like that that you don't necessarily think of when you're the performer. But as a lot of aerial artists go into performance situation, they're sometimes the only one there that has that knowledge and are looked to for the answers and may not have them yet. So. Be sure to bring a good rigger or know a good rigger in your community yeah. if you want to take your new skills and go perform them. And be um, really without... educated about your equipment. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a giant safety concern. Yeah. The way that I ended up in the harness in Ben Stevenson's Dracula um, <laughs> was because, you know, Boston Ballet is a union company. And so right. those union workers are going to get hazard pay if they go up in harness. So I was a student right. at the time. And... Um, you don't have to pay the students hazard pay. So it's um, a cost-saving measure 
for the institution. So, Interesting. you know, and if, the student, yeah, you may not know to ask right, those questions right. either. You're like, I get to perform? Exactly. Wonderful. Exactly. And it wouldn't have changed my decision in that situation. But, you know, if you're a professional, but you're not a union employee, you know, if you're an, if you're an AGMA, they'll make sure you get your pay. But yeah, you might want to talk about what your compensation is for this added risk and added skill that you're bringing to the performance and um, be, you know, assert your rights there. <laughs> um, you've talked a bit about uh, the shoulder. We've talked a lot about the shoulder in a really helpful way. You gave us a lot of really okay. great, that was great information and just great visuals. Um, is there anything else that you think healthcare providers, doctors, physical therapists um, should know or think about when they're treating these artists? Um, I think beyond knowledge of the shoulder, which is, I know, sometimes out of the scope of some performing arts people if they do focus on dancers. Um, but beyond that, kind of trying to uh, wake up the vocabulary and learn some of it uh, mm -hmm. that comes around aerial arts. I mean, just like with any other very specific sport or arts activity, if you have a little bit of knowledge, it immediately puts your patient at ease that they're not going to be told to just stop. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, see how you can modify that or see what changes you could make. So go see some local circus performances. If not, YouTube them. Um, there's stuff online. There's training videos online more than I'd like, but at least it's a way of learning. Um, <laughs> right. <that's> a... <laughs> right. Another um, issue. At least it's, um, <laughs> it's a way of learning vocabulary. So at least you'll have some idea of what your patients are doing. And asking them walk in the door. Yeah, ask those questions. Asking questions, totally. I mean, I think yeah. dancers so appreciate that when a doctor will just say, like, well, now, how long are you hanging there? And what right. type of bar? How thick is it? And you have to put your legs where? And just trying to get inside that work from yeah. the outside. And, you know, it definitely takes a little bit of creative thinking. It's kind of like what I was talking about with the shoulder, the change of gravity on the body, the change of where the body's moving in space relative to the other parts. So mm -hmm. you do have to think about your anatomy a little more creatively. So it helps to have a really great basis in yeah. anatomy and biomechanics um, because it, the best thing you can do sometimes to help your patients reduce the load is to teach them what some efficient pattern, patterning might look like. Um, so what does it look like when you're hanging from your hands but you want to turn upside down? What order should things be firing and right. to make it the easiest on that one joint that's bothering you or that one um, area that you're having difficulty? Great. So helpful. Um, this has been enormously informative and really interesting. Um, is there anything else that you want to share about the work that you do with dancers? I just love working with these artists. They are um, strong, motivated, curious, um, love learning about their bodies and how they can work better. So it's just been so great to give back to the community that has given me so much of the joy in my life. Um, so I'm happy to share this knowledge and help their health care grow and increase the understanding overall. Wonderful. Um, so again, this is Dr. Emily Sherb and her website is thecircusdoc.com. So that's thecircusdoc.com. And again, look for her book. It's called Applied Anatomy of Aerial Arts, an Illustrated Guide to Strength, flexibility, training, and injury prevention. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks so much, Ellie. This was a blast. 
On behalf of Marissa and myself, Ellie Kushner, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. We'll be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.